Today we will do part two of our discussion on intrusive thoughts. We'll talk about ways to conceptualize intrusive thoughts and have some suggestions for how to respond when having these experiences. Today, on Psychologically Incorrect. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Have you had any good intrusive thoughts lately? <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, the first thing I want to do is say that I don't like to call them intrusive thoughts. <laughs> I know, I know, Let's I lead know. with that. I know, I know. Okay, I know. so... Anyway, <laughs> it is a funny thing. We have to, we have to talk about it somehow. I guess we have to have some way to discuss these experiences. So we call them, for lack of a better term, intrusive thoughts. But I guess my whole point is, if we're calling them that, it kind of it, it is its own problem. But yeah, I digress. We decided on ego dystonic, but you know, right. it's all good. Oh, that's right. That's what we said last time. <laughs> yeah, that's what we decided. I should have took notes on our last talk. Yeah, well, I can keep you on pace. I always think it's funny you don't have a great memory, and I have like a Rain Man memory. So. Oh my god! I have a t- yeah. I really, I honestly forgot that until you said it, but now I remember. See, I just need you know, I just need a little. I'll help. keep you on. I'll keep you on point. Um. So yeah. So today we're gonna kind of go through where we landed last time and talk more about how to respond when unwanted thoughts that we don't identify with show up. Um, any, this is funny. I'm asking you the person from Ben right? Anything that stand out from our last conversation <laughs> that feels worthwhile to revisit on your end? Uh, well, we kind of touched on it. Just the, the whole notion of calling them intrusive thoughts, just to be, I think one of the things I, I'm always encouraging people is to say, yeah, well, okay. Our brain's going to have the thoughts that it has. And we don't have to take the bait. We don't have to freak out, you know, um, because our brain is having an experience, which is kind of a funny way to think of thoughts. It's a brain experience. It is funny. You know, I'm having a brain experience right now, you know, <laughs> and that brain experience is this this thought, um, this ego dystonic thought, as we said. So to keep that at the at the front, at, you know, to uh, to keep that at the forefront of the mind is that that's our brain's having an experience and we are going to accept that. And I, I think that's one of the points we made last time as well. Um, now that's all well and good, but people will still ask, okay, that's fine. But what do I do? Sure. You know, yeah. What do I do? Because I don't, these are very unpleasant for people. And, um, you know, they, they, a lot of times people say, I want to get rid of these thoughts. You know, that's what people are coming in and saying in the beginning of therapy anyway. They're saying, I'm having these intrusive thoughts and I want them to stop. Please help me. And then I have, then I say something like, well, I've got, this is a good news, bad news situation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the good news is I think you're in the right spot. But the bad news is, is you know, uh, we're, we're not going to do so much about that. I'm not going to help you get rid of thoughts. Absolutely not going to try to help you do that. What's your retention rate? <laughs> <laughs> they they say okay well i'll see you later uh, i'm gonna go to somebody that can hypnotize me or something. yeah oh my god that's funny um so something that i mentioned at the end of last one is kind of that idea of the ca- uh, capital s self and kind of identifying that we don't have to identify our self our like the core of who we are with things like 
thoughts, but you know, other things like our appearance, our bank account, our car, our job, or whatever, that we don't always mm -hmm. have to define ourselves by these things because they're not a great representative of who we actually are. Now that can lead to a bigger conversation where I could see somebody be like, well, who am I even, you know? And well, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the question mm -hmm. you got to answer in life. But um, what, one thing that I think is really interesting and in this, idea of like learning OCD and how we think about thoughts and intrusive thoughts and how we respond and don't respond and whatever. Before I ever learned how to treat OCD, I, I took philosophy classes. I took a lot of yoga philosophy um, classes as well. And I learned that, you know, in the philosophical sphere, actually, especially in yoga philosophy, they have a word called vritti, which is a Sanskrit word that just essentially means a fluctuation of the mind, which is how they think about our thoughts that it's just this kind of like little blip in our mind that fluctuates. And, and so in the philosophy world, there's been long talk for a long time um, about de-emphasizing the value of our thoughts. Um, and so when we think about OCD and anxiety disorders, there's so much emphasis on thoughts and then mm -hmm. thoughts paired with feelings. Right. So it's really easy for me to, to kind of make that jump because I'm already coming at it from a place of undervaluing thoughts. And I think that that mm -hmm. is a really hard concept for people, um, especially with anxiety and OCD, and especially when their thoughts are paired with big emotions. Um, there's so much value on our thoughts, which is why people, to some people, why people want to get rid of them. Yeah, we we get all we get all up in our heads with our thoughts. We we have that's the thing I think of this uh, sort of uh, the disadvantage of being a human with these giant giant brains, you know, there's a lot of horsepower up there in the prefrontal cortex to really, you know, go, go after something and to really consider what these things mean in the philosophical world. You know, that's, that's what they, that's what we do is we, you know, we're thinking about our thinking, you know, and then, um, and, and that becomes a, prob a problem for somebody when they get so wrapped up in that and, you know, they could get lost in there. That could be, you know, for somebody with OCD and anxiety, that could be an endless, an endless pit you know, and, um, and, and that's why I like what you're saying about, you know, we, we've long talked in philosophy about the de-emphasization of this. That's what we're trying to do in therapy, you know, with people with OCD and anxiety is to, is to, is to, is to de-emphasize it, to, um, diminish the importance of them because that they're doing the opposite of that. They're shining a light on it. They're saying, oh my gosh, what am I, what, what a, what did I just think? And then wait, why did I think that? And what does this mean? You know, and, uh, yeah. and that, that talk about some unanswerable questions, you know? Totally. Have you ever heard the analogy that like anxiety can feel like you're a head on a string? Have you ever heard that? No, no. I really like that. I mean, I if you, if you, I probably it, did, but I probably don't remember. <laughs> you probably yeah. forgot. I really like that because when you're in your head, it's like, all you can think, all you can see that's like captivated your attention and you feel totally disconnected from the rest of your body and the rest of the world. And that's why mm -hmm. things like participating in life and like even grounding exercises are so useful because you learn how to zoom out, um, which is key. So anyways, uh, we're going to talk about some four options to respond to OCD. Um, we, I kind of like how concise this is, but sometimes it's just helpful to know that you've got options. So the first one is to just flat out ignore it, to be completely unmindful of an intrusive, unwanted, uh, ego dystonic thought. So um, 
Like, how would somebody do that? How would somebody completely ignore the thought? What would that even look like? I know that sounds somewhat, you know, counter, I mean, intuitive, but I also think that's a very mm -hmm. hard thing to practice. So what would you say? Well, I think that's the problem for people with OCD. They, they, they believe that they can't ignore it because it has meaning and value and importance. You know what I mean? So that's the, you know, that's the, you know, with, specifically with somebody with OCD, that's what they're, that's the problem. Because if they could ignore it, they would. Um, you know, to, to ignore it means to, I, I don't know. This is something that, that, that I kind of struggle with because I say, well, I don't want to ignore it. My, my, my thing is to say, I acknowledge that it's there. Maybe that's mindfulness. Uh, the second piece that you wanted to talk about, but, um, yeah, we'll talk about the I, difference I between the two, but you said they feel like they can't ignore it. And that's the point. But I, and I think that for some people that does feel very real, but I also think that that's the perception, the perception being that I can't, it's too loud. Mm. I can't. And I actually think what we're trying to highlight here is you actually have a choice as to whether or not you want to give it your attention. Yeah, and I, that's that's the way I would phrase it too. Is you attend to a thought, or you or you choose to not to attend to a thought. And the choice that the person with OCD and anxiety makes is is to attend, to engage, to unpack or figure out, you know, the thought, and that only sort of uh, digs the hole deeper, you know? Yeah. I, and I feel like this is such a sticky one because I could see so many people saying to me, how could you, how, why would I choose that? Like, why would I choose to do, to attend to it? And so it's such like a hard mental leap to kind of conceptualize this mm -hmm. as a choice because it feels mm -hmm. like an automatic response and I can't possibly do that. And I think the reason for that is because it's so unpleasant and scary and emotional, which is why it doesn't feel like there is a choice. But I think that like to actually practice this choice. And I think that this is, um, in my opinion, one of the hardest responses is thinking about like a barking dog that you're going to take like every ounce of your willpower mm -hmm. to not mm -hmm. look at and not give your attention to. And it is going to, or a screaming child. Well, not everybody ignores the screaming children. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> but No, I was, go ahead. Right? Mm -hmm. So like every fiber of my being, is going to not engage and it is going to be so loud and so overstimulating and so intense and i'm just gonna put like it's like you're a horse with blinders and it's just like a firm no i am not going there i am not acknowledging it i am not giving it my attention which is very hard to do in particular with the unwanted thoughts, because there's that element of surprise because you've been taken kind of off kilter. And so when we're surprised, we're even more tempted to be like, what just happened? Um, mm -hmm. But being able to be like, I know what that is. I am not looking. I am not listening. I am not coming. I am not giving that dog my attention because I know I don't want to reward that behavior, which is so much about the essence of behaviorism is understanding that like, you know, when something gets rewarded and reinforced, you'll do it again. Right. And that's really what we're trying to get at with ignoring is that we don't want to reinforce always giving it our attention. Right. Because we reinforce it and, and we, you know, that, that just it increases the likelihood we're going to continue to engage with it. 
Now, let's move to number two, because I think that when uh, we when you mentioned your example of the screaming kid, I had this yesterday. You know, I have this every day. I, <laughs> I was going to say every day you have three kids and two dogs, of course. Right. Right. Um, you know, and it's, um, they're going to, okay. So the, the second one is mindfulness. Let me just say what it is. Acknowledge the, uh, the thought, uh, and diffusion. So this is, I see you, I hear you, but I'm going to put my attention elsewhere. So this is, uh, not quite ignoring because ignoring is, um, a, a, you know, sort of a cold stop, I suppose. Um, and then, or a hard stop. This is, I acknowledge it, but I'm going to choose to attend to something else. I hear you, but I'm going to be over here doing this. And this is something I think people have a, I don't know. Um, I don't want to say easier time with, uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, but, um, but I can acknowledge that I'm having this discomforting thought and how it makes me feel but I'm not, but I'm, I'm going to move on past it. I'm going to continue to do the thing that I was doing. And my example yesterday was I was making dinner. I was hungry. It's never good to, I always feed myself first, you know, I'm a very selfish parent because I know that if I don't eat and they're constantly asking me for 10 things that I'm going to be grouchier and grouchier, the hungrier I get. Um, so anyway, it's a stupid example, but, or a, a small example, but I think important, you know, my kids are, you know, yelling and, you know, fighting in the other room and I'm hungry and I'm trying to make my dinner and the screaming is driving me a little nuts, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to yell less and trying to accept children more and let them fight it out and do what they do. So I said, okay, that's happening. I acknowledge that. Um, I am so close to taking my first bite of food here. Let me get the rest of the stuff together and I'll be there and I'm going to focus on this and let them do that. Let those kids and their uh, sort of you know, bickering and whatever they were fighting about exist because that's what they got to do. And they got to work this out anyway. So I'm acknowledging it, but I'm not engaging with it because to engage with it would have been like, but you guys stop it. Exactly. Stop. Please stop. Mm -hmm. Please stop. And I'm rejecting the, uh, the situation. I'm, I'm rejecting that noise. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself that I can't tolerate it if I'm interjecting in that moment. So I'm trying to be mindful of that. And, and I, I was, I said, okay, I could say something now, but I'm not, I'm going to accept them as they are and, and, and their childhood selves, you know, and they can argue and bicker and fight it out. And you know what, maybe that'll make them learn. So, so I said, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So instead of trying to control the noise, you're acknowledging the noise, but mm -hmm. you're turning your attention elsewhere. That so mm -hmm. that so this is a very useful skill in your external environment, like with your kids or dogs or mm -hmm. you know whatever. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like another very simple example of this would be like if your boss gives you a drop everything, but you're knee deep in something else, where you say, "Hey, mm -hmm. assignment received, got your message." I am working mm -hmm. on this right now and I will get to that as soon as I can. Right. So you're, you're practicing mm -hmm. a bit of diffusion by acknowledging, Hey, this is happening. And you're also saying not quite yet, you know, now, obviously in that situation, right. like context matters, like how much of a drop, everything is a drop, everything, but you know, being able sometimes to manage your expectations um, for people have just got it. And I will return. 
uh, you can't have my attention right now, which I think is a really skillful mm. thing. So to your point that you were saying, I actually think that this version of I'm acknowledging you, I see you, I hear you, I know what this is, and I'm not engaging. I think that is much easier than the first option, which is a flat ignore, no acknowledgement. Me too. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's a really useful one, especially with unwanted thoughts. I think we could also put self-critical thoughts in there where we say like, you know, maybe you're, you're, you know, any type of self-critical or same thought or guilt thought, being able to acknowledge, okay, I know what this is. I don't necessarily have the brain power to kind of like sort this through and challenge it and figure it out right now, but I know what it is. I'm calling it what it is. I'm turning my attention elsewhere. Um, Both options, flat ignore or mindfulness acknowledgement diffusion, um, is the way I actually think about this is this is really what mental boundaries look like. People love talking about mm-hmm. like, you know, boundaries. It's like a very hot topic and, you know, yeah, our culture. But I, you know, we talk about boundaries as like, don't come over my house after five or something. I don't know. Or don't talk mm-hmm. to me about mm-hmm. blank. But I really think actually some of the most useful boundaries are the mental and emotional ones of like, that's not something I'm going to place value on. That's not something I'm going to entertain. You know, other people's emotions are not mine to fix, right? Like those mental boundaries of I don't always have to fix and attend to things is an incredibly useful skill. And that's really what we're talking about here is just ignoring and putting boundaries on these are not thoughts that I want to give my attention to. Yeah, I, I like how you, to expand this out to other issues, low self-esteem, sadness, uh, you know, um, the self-esteem is a good one. I have a lot of people that I talk to that are totally engaging with that. Oh, you just he's just saying that because he feels bad for you or, you know, or, or what. And that that would be we would describe that as an intrusive, unwanted thought. You know, totally. the person is having that's facilitating their low self-esteem. Well, actually the thought itself isn't facilitating the low self-esteem it's the engagement with the thought and uh, sort of taking it to the bank as the god's honest truth you know about a about a person's self-worth or how they look or whatever or yeah what the boss thinks about them or whatever you know and um yeah so to to acknowledge that those thoughts exist but uh you know to to continue working alongside them you know, and, and there are some metaphors like allowing, you know, the air conditioner to, you know, keep running in the background and, you know, and you acknowledge that, but you're still able to focus on your on, on your phone call or whatever. And this is uh, a similar thing. Now, people will say, well, but the the air conditioner in the background isn't a life threatening emergency, you know, <laughs> and, and but they they're they're there's that's the thing. They're interpreting these other issues as life threatening emergencies. Um, but yeah. But they're not, and that brings me to the third thing that I want. Well, to Well, actually, talk about wait. Is... Oh, you're going to go to the next one uh, to uncertainty. No, go I was going to say can, before I, I say this, that. you know, another example of this. It, you were talking about self esteem, but it's depression season. I don't know if you've noticed, depression's up. It's November. It's depression mm. season, and you could mm. also really do this with depressed thoughts because the depressed thoughts are life sucks. I don't feel like it. Everything sucks. I suck. Work sucks. I feel like crap, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And actually, you know, the more you listen to those thoughts, it's going to drive your behavior. And so practicing these like mindfulness acknowledgement helps can help people not engage with those depressed thoughts as much undervalue those depressed thoughts and then have it not necessarily drive their behavior. Because 
if you if you think everybody everything sucks and what's the point you're going to do less and the more you do less the worse you feel and so on and so forth so i feel like you could use that also with um pushing back with you know the the low energy feelings that people can feel this time of year sure 100 percent um you want to do the next one then no you go for it oh okay sure so the other the other way that we deal with uh, intrusive thoughts uh unwanted thoughts ego dystonic thoughts mm -hmm. brain experiences <laughs> brain experiences um, is to is to agree with the uncertainty to lead into it to uh this is sort of the uh, maybe yes maybe no um scenario or another way i like to say it is there's a non-zero percent chance that that uh scary thing i'm thinking about could happen Okay, now this is very much in line with what we do in exposure therapy is to lean in um, to, to the thought, okay? And this very much is dealing with the content, and I understand that, uh, but this is, a, this is a way to do it, you know? This is a lean in, and, you know, the OCD might say, you know, um, you know, what does that mean about you that you had that thought? And then you say, well, maybe it means I'm a serial killer. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, and I'm not going to try to figure it out. Uh, so, uh, but I am going to keep making this, this, this dinner or whatever. Okay. So that's, that's this strategy, which, you know, on, on first listen to a lot of people, it's kind of like, what, what, what did he say? Um, but it works, you know, try it out. And I think it works for a lot of these, these issues. We can take depression and other self-esteem issues too. Maybe no one likes, maybe everyone is looking at me on this bus. Um, I, I can't be sure. I'm not going to try to figure that out. I'm going to accept the uncertainty that, that might be true and go find my seat anyway, because I'm sick of renting space in my head to this constant barrage of, you know, social fears. Yeah, definitely. I, the other one I, I think I see a lot with is very useful with this one. There's two examples that come to mind. Any type of health anxieties, like what if I get sick? What if I have cancer? What if, you know, my doctor's mm. appointment goes poorly? Like all of the kind of what ifs. Um, and people can spend, especially with health related concerns and fears, they can spend endless time looping in the possibility of something bad happening to them or their family or whatever. And um, being able to just say like, yeah, it, it is possible. As you say, it's a non-zero chance. I say it's a one in something chance. But there's also a possibility that everything's going to be fine. So I'm going to entertain both possibilities. I'm going to, you know, acknowledge I don't have a crystal ball. I have to let the play, the tape play out. But um, it's painful to acknowledge. Uh, the, uh, the other example I was going to give would be like harm coming to your family, like a school shooting or something. Mm -hmm. It's really painful to acknowledge that there is a one in something chance that like, your kid's school could be the one with the shoot the shooting and like that's right. that's an awful thought to entertain it's very very painful but there's also a chance that it's not going to be your kid's school and so that's where i think possibility and probability are really useful it's absolutely possible now is it probable you know of all the schools in the country and the like incidents of school shootings and, and whatnot like right. does it mean that it's going to happen at your school there's actually probably a pretty low probability, but, and so we have to tolerate that possibility. As you say, that one in, uh, I'm sorry, the non-zero chance. Like I cannot tell you it's zero. Yeah. 
Um, but that also doesn't mean that it's 90. And that in that anxiety uh, emotion mind, it feels like because it's possible means it's going to happen. And right. that's the hard part. Yeah. And that's why I, that's why I phrase it as a non-zero percent because I, I used to, I used to help, used to phrase it as, well, maybe yes, maybe no, you know, um, and, and some therapists sort of go in that direction, but you know, we're trying to teach, like, like you say, OCD wants 100% certainty. And we are, we have to live within probabilities. Otherwise we can't function because, you know, we have to drive, we have to take our kids to school. We, ha- we have to do live in the to, world, uh, go for that, go for that first kiss. You know, we have to, you know, you know, go on faith and go on probabilities. And, you know, that's kind of, we don't think about it that way. We don't have a calcul- calculator up in our head, you know, doing these statistics, but ultimately we all have to land on maybe, maybe not, or something like that, or there's a non, there's a non zero percent chance that this, this bad thing could happen and, and still act, you know? And when, if you can do that, if you can conjure up that, that style of thinking when you're having intrusive or unwanted thoughts, then, you know, it's a, it's something to try because, you know, you, you, you get, um, you get accustomed to that. You get accustomed to dealing with uncertainty and moving, moving without, you know, that 100%, you know, satisfactory answer, you know? Yeah. When you were saying maybe yes, maybe not, not like all I could think about was my school shooting example of like being scared to send your kids to school. If I came to you for therapy yeah. and I was like really upset about this and you said, yeah, maybe, yes, yeah. maybe not. I'd be like, bye, right. Nick. <laughs> You're right. not going right. to help me, you know? And I, so I kind of right. feel like the, the higher the scales of your fear, the harder it is mm-hmm. for people to accept the maybe yes, maybe no. And so that's why yeah. you want to kind of look at the uncertainty piece as a spectrum because for me, possibility versus probability, that feels way more tolerable to me than maybe yes, maybe no. You know, so you have to have some but, amount of nuance in how you think about uncertainty. That's, that's what, that's right. And that's why this therapy takes nuance. And when you're talking with, you know, uh, with people who are struggling with like OCD, for example, you have to have that nuance because they're not afraid of the car ride, you know what I mean? But they're afraid of the aids and the door handle, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so... That, that's where their 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 gauge, their barometer of probability is just way off. They're seeing everything as as dangerous with HIV, for example, or or whatever it is. But um, yeah, that's why you have to have nuance, and that's you know, this is this is a way. So so what did we say so far? Ignore, uh, flat mindfully, ignore, absolutely flat ignore, flat ignore, acknowledge and then redirect, mindfully acknowledge and then mm-hmm. redirect. Then we have agree, but allow for the uncertainty. Um, I actually right. have another example of this one. Um, this is, I okay. see, I don't know if, you, if you've heard this, if you've had a lot of young people, patients, young single people, maybe not even young. I, I'm not going to even include young. I'm going to say single. I hear a lot of times in the dating world, people be like, oh, I don't want to get hurt and I don't want to hurt that person. And mm-hmm. they're like, you know, so maybe I shouldn't like go out with that person. I'm like, I'm like not hundred percent sure I'm into them because I don't want to hurt them. And I always have the conversation. Dating involves getting hurt. Yeah. Like it is a, it, it's, yes. it's a, to some degree a guarantee, but certainly a possibility. Mm-hmm. And so learning how mm-hmm. to kind of tolerate the risk of, 
I don't know if I'm into this person or not, but I'm curious and I'm interested and I'm open. And in the process of figuring it out, I actually have to allow the possibility that one or both of us will get hurt. Um, And I don't have to avoid that adverse uh, consequence at all costs. But the other side of that uncertainty is maybe we could go out for a little while and decide we're not into each other in a mutually respectful way. And, you know, it'll be disappointing if we, you know, split, it's, you know, maybe painful in the moment, but it doesn't mean I'm going to get like hurt in this like dramatic, you know, you know, unrecoverable way. And I would say to that, well, then you can't ever date and you can't ever have, <laughs> then you can't have any relationship because you're going to hurt somebody. Now, when, and we're talking about OCD and anxiety, we want to know what the person's core fear is. And we want to, you know, uh, I wish we're, we're kind of like, we're a little more specific yeah yeah we have to sort of drill down into therapy you're going to know what their core fears are and 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 press on that nerve and everything but like that but like if a person is saying that they can't hurt anybody in a relationship then wow what you know then you can't live you can't you can't have any relationships then so that's the risk that you have to take because you are absolutely going to hurt someone you know and you will get hurt and you got to tolerate that yeah as a possibility right as an uncertainty exactly yeah, but as a with one hundred percent certainty, I can say this: you are going to hurt somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? In your marriage, you're gonna um, you're gonna you're gonna get married, and you know, in that relationship, there's gonna be fights, and there's gonna be arguments, and there's gonna be ups, and there's gonna be downs, and someone's gonna get hurt, and someone's gonna get you're gonna apologize for it, and then they're gonna apologize to you. It just it's just a matter of of fact of, about living on the planet. You know what I mean? And having relationships. Like that's going to happen. So, I'll, so when somebody says something like that, I'd be like, well, you can't, you have to live here. This is the earth that we have. And you're going to experience all the totality of all the emotions and all the experiences that this earth has, because we have no other one. You yeah, know totally. I mean? and that's part of it. So actually you're saying that one's not about uncertainty. That's about actually going for the certainty that it would happen. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's true. I guess yeah. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So let's do the next one. Um, Agree with attitude where we're going to use humor and creativity. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about this one? I, this is right up your alley. I was just trying. <laughs> I was thinking about a session I had earlier today um, with somebody with scrupulosity, OCD. And do you want me to tell me what the, do you want me to tell you what it was about? Uh, um let me see i i, I don't want to yeah, i don't i don't, don't, don't want to give away too wanna, much stuff yeah. but any any yeah, good sassy sure, retorts because sure. this is really what we're talking about here is like using sassy retorts to kind of push back in a way that some people call it like enter the paradox right like where you're just kind of leaning into like the absurdity of it all i'll tell you what i did this is uh this is related but yesterday um my daughter was at school I, so let me preface this with a lot of times when we talk about OCD or anxiety, depression, we talk about it as we externalize it like a bully or something like yeah. that. And um, my, my daughter was dealing with a, a bully at school a little bit. There was a bully this week and uh, she's in second grade and the person, um, what did, what did she get called? Oh, no, this is second grade humor. So bear with me. But uh, the, she, somebody, some boy called her a poopy head. Okay, a poopy <laughs> head. So um, she she told me this, and she said, "I I told the teacher that he was calling me a poopy head." Okay, 
And, uh, you know, I heard that. And I says, okay, you know, they, they're being taught, you know, when they see a bully to go tell the teacher. Well, I just suppose it's good. I don't want to totally trash that. But I also want her to learn how to ignore the bully, you know. Oh, I guess that's on first when we talk yeah, about yeah. ignoring. But I also said in that conversation, ignore was one of the things I suggested. But the other thing I suggested was to lean into it in this in this way was sass. And I said, um, you know, what did I say? And the kids laughed. But I said, because I modeled this, I said, well, yes, maybe I'm a poopy head. I love the smell of poop in the morning or something like that. And, they all, <laughs> and the kids all laughed. And so I'm trying to teach my kids to have a sense of humor about that and roll with it. And I said, now, if that kid saw you say that, they'd be like, huh, what, what, what? That's weird. Why would she say that? So anyway, leaning into it and making a joke of it. That's the example that I gave my daughter to try to fend off bullies and stuff like that. But this is the same thing that we're telling people with anxiety and OCD. You know, um, I don't know. Maybe you really don't love God. Yeah, um, that's right. Maybe I'm the devil, you know, or to sort of. To lean into it yeah, a little yeah. bit and to sort of um, use humor. I think that's a really big deal. I use that a lot with, with when I'm doing work with people. That's funny. I thought you were going to say, oh, my God, do I have poop on my head? Oh, my God. Let me go check the mirror. Right. Let me There's go so check. many ways you could go with that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like and just being, like, totally silly and absurd about it. What, you know, if people have any type of, like, guilt-related anxiety or, like, people-pleasing, I don't want people to be mad at me. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. Like, I would, you know, be like, oh, well, like, you're going to be, you know, alone for the rest of your life, a pariah of the world, because, like, you said something you're a little right. bit uncertain about, and now everybody will hate right. you henceforth. I always conceptualize, mm -hmm. and I, like, this is what I think when I'm, like, treating someone with OCD, and they've got some sort of, like, horrible, awful thoughts. I always think it's like a monster in your ear, just like spewing nonsense yeah. at your head. And when you think mm -hmm. I, it always makes me like, that's the image that I have. And it always makes me laugh. And you know, even outside of OCD, I think anxiety tells you all these like horrible, terrible thoughts. And so when you, when you look, when you can externalize it in that way and think about it as, yeah, like, yeah, that monster really got a good one. Like that one's going to be on the front page in the newspaper. You know, like <laughs> level up. Can you do one better? You know, that was a really good one, mm -hmm. you know, but can you do one mm -hmm. better? How could you make that even more absurd? How could we make that even more, you know, mm -hmm. or the person who's scared to go to the doctor because of health anxiety, like, yeah, today's the time that they're going to find the record breaking tumor. Like, it's not just going to mm -hmm. be like regular cancer. It's going to be cancer that's going to stump mm -hmm. the scientists of the world. And let's hope that they do a case study on me. And let's hope that they write on my gravestone, like, yeah, here right, lies right, right. the person with the record breaking tumor, right? And so you're going to go all the way there to the absurdity. And um, in doing that, we actually teach ourselves to undervalue our thoughts, which is the goal in the first place. Yeah, right. And like, or, or what's this? What's this on my eye? Oh my gosh, I have health related illness. I have health related anxiety. Oh my gosh, I think I see something in there. And then in treatment, I'm going to be like, yes, it's it's eye AIDS. I, maybe I have eye AIDS, and that's what it's going to be. You know what I mean? It's going to be the first documented case, and it's going to spread to the other eye. Then I'll have two eyes with eye AIDS, or you know, like that. To be irreverent about it and say, yes, you're leaning in, and that's another way we're diffusing. We're diffusing the insult. We're you know, deflecting the punch from the bully, if you will. You know what I mean? I'm going to um, sort of be deft about it, you know? And uh, I, I think I'm constantly using humor in that way to um, to acknowledge that. And again, once again, in a way we're acknowledging that that voice is there, but we're going to do something different with it. We're going to own it and we're going to use it um, and sort of throw it back at it, you know? Yeah, totally. 
I, I think that I, in my opinion, I think this is one of the most useful ways that we can um, undervalue our thoughts and then like interact differently with it. There's this um, one thing that really like opened this up for me. There's this comedians and cars episode with John Oliver. Have you seen it? If you did, you might have forgotten by now. But does this ring a bell? I was just going to say, I, I I may have forgotten it. I don't remember, <laughs> though. <laughs> well, they were having this conversation, and I can't remember who said what, but some one of them said, I don't necessarily say things because I mean it. I say things because they're funny. So they were talking about, like, they're like, maybe I'm having this conversation with my wife, and I'm, like, retelling it to a friend. Like, maybe I completely twist the details of, like, what I said or what my wife said in a way that, like, I'm just essentially turning it into a story and thinking about how can I make it funnier. He's like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't actually believe what I say. Like, I don't even think that it's mm-hmm. true. I don't even, th- I don't think that it matters what I'm saying. I'm just trying to make it funny. Like, my goal mm-hmm. is a laugh. My goal is not mm-hmm. to be accurate necessarily or true because that's not funny mm-hmm. and people need to mm-hmm. laugh and if we can mm-hmm. think about taking our thoughts and ideas as content and try to think about how to make it funny mm-hmm. then there's mm-hmm. this like real freedom of how we can think about living mm-hmm. in the world and i love that and it really changed how i even thought about talking back to ocd is use it as an opportunity to be like I don't know, maybe my, maybe, maybe the thought doesn't have to have this huge weight over me. And how can I kind of turn this, this figment that my imagination, that my brain gave me and turn it into something absurd and funny and ludicrous. And maybe I could even laugh. Right. So what comes to mind when you brought up comedians is the, the aristocrats joke. And I've talked to you about this Yeah. Please tell the, tell the listener. No. Well, I don't know if we have time. We're out of time. I can't tell. We're uh, most at the top of the hour here, Lauren. (laughs) Well, you can do a highlight. um, No, no. You don't have to give an example of the aristocrats, but what it is. Okay. Okay. Briefly, the aristocrats joke is a famous joke that comedians tell one another in like the back rooms of comedy clubs to try to make each other laugh. Okay. And it's, uh, it's a, you know, please Google the aristocrats joke on YouTube or whatever. You'll see Bob Saget do a version, Gilbert Godfrey. Um, I think, I think the story, anyway, the point is, is there's the, the comedian or the, uh, the theater manager is uh, there, there's a booking agent going to different theaters to try to pitch this, this act. And um, I don't want to ruin the joke for people, but the point is it's a very absurdist, disgusting humor that, um, that, the grosser and more absurd you get, the funnier it gets. And these people, when you're telling this joke, when you're conjuring up these images in the aristocrats joke, don't actually feel it or think it or mean it. Or value it. Or value it. Right, exactly. They're just trying to make people laugh, just like you said. And that's the whole point of it. It's ego dystonic. That's right. There you go. Right? That like, let me string together as many absurd things as I can possibly say. Vile. Yeah. Right. And in doing it, it's not about believing it. It's about mm-hmm. laughing. And yep. sometimes the cringe laugh is still a laugh. And if we mm-hmm. can do a cringe laugh at some of this anxiety and OCD stuff, then we get a little bit more headspace to think about how we can yep. interact with it differently. And that's where it gets valuable. I think you I know? Think- I think the I think diffusion is the word there. It diffuses it. It 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 it, it um, 
disarms it, disarms the thought uh, is, is, you know, is, is what it does. And I often that when, when you can get somebody to the point where they're engaging in that with you and, and, and laughing, you know, we're going to be okay. OCD doesn't have a chance. You know yeah. what I mean? The bully, the bully doesn't have a chance at that point. Yeah. Yeah. In my, in my opinion, I feel like it's one of the most useful things, but, um, you have to be able to kind of practice the humility of saying, I'm not going to treat this as valuable, which is why the first two options ignore and then mindful diffuse Mm -hmm. is like, it actually builds the muscle to be able to do the sassy retort part better. Sure. Sure. So, yeah. All right, cool. Well, listener, I highly recommend listening to the aristocrat joke. You may be horrified Mm -hmm. in watching it. <laughs> That's kind of the point. That's kind of the point, yeah. But if you want the PG version, watch the Jerry Seinfeld, John Oliver, Comedians in Cars. <laughs> there you go. All right, cool, Nick. I'll catch you later. Okay. All right, bye.